Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas. Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your co-hosts, Martha and Ashley. And it's fun because we can actually see each other virtually. I have yet to hug her for six months now. So many months, (laughs) but you know, I get virtual hugs from you all the time and that's important. (laughs) Um, Today, as we continue our um, recordings from isolation, we have a special episode with Dr. Stephanie Giffro Ellison. Um, She is an OB and a local expert on high-risk pregnancy and also a NICU mama herself. Do you want to say hi? Hello. (laughs) Welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us. Um, And as you all know, sometimes on the podcast, we share NICU mama stories and sometimes we have experts here. So having you here and being able to share from both of those perspectives is, is really a blessing for us and for our audience. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, your journey as a NICU mom? Just give us a little brief ha, synopsis of what that was like for you and, and where that fell in your life and your journey as an OB. Sure. Um, well, my twins were born uh, four years ago. Um, actually, today I was thinking about this morning in anticipation of our our um, podcast today. That, that today was discharge day for us. Oh my, um, oh my gosh! For me, for me, oh, for you. Okay, okay, okay gotcha. <laughs> today was discharge day, and I was going to say um, probably the you know like all of us have experienced that's it's the saddest day yes, when you is. leave yeah. and you leave your, your, your child or children in the hospital. Um, we basically just went out the door and then walked right back in. <laughs> um, so my journey, um, you know, it starts with fertility issues. I, um, we started trying for our family um, in my late 30s. And it, you know, it did just was not going as expected. And so we, we did end up going through um, in vitro fertilization and we had several rounds, which were not successful. Um, and, you know, kind of we're at a crossroads, should we move forward or not? And, um, you know, I was just sharing with one of my girlfriends last week um, for our kid's birthday, I, I said something in my mind just told me I had to keep, I, I had to keep going that, um, you know, I, I just felt in my heart that I was going to have twins and it was going to be a boy and a girl. Um, and you know, sometimes we have those intuitions and they're correct and, and sometimes not. So, uh, you know, it, it is what it is, but that was my motivation for keeping going and convincing my husband that we should try one more time. And we, we did end up getting pregnant with twins. Um, and I had a really great pregnancy. Um, I felt really good. I was, um, I, I think I was just so grateful and excited after going through um, fertility issues that, you know, here we, here we are, and we were going to have, going to be blessed with twins. Um, Vicki really wasn't on my radar, like a lot of, uh, I mean, maybe that was naive on my part. I just, um, I don't know, but the, as far as like how I felt, it was very different than what my body did during pregnancy, which I think a lot of 
NICU moms can relate to. I felt great. Um, and it was at about 20 weeks when I started having a lot of uh, contractions. Um, and it was just kind of a progressive um, change in, you know, my activities. And, uh, you know, thankfully, uh, for the most part, I was able to still work. I had some modifications in my schedule. Um, it just, and I say that just because I don't know how my mind would have handled being at home, you know, the entire pregnancy. I think I would have struggled with um, with anxiety a lot um, had I not been able to, to spend some time outside the house. Um, but it was pretty strict. Like I'd get home from work and have to, to, to rest. And um, my last OB appointment, I, you know, they had uh, checked me and um, each week it was just a source of anxiety because I just knew that the check was coming. Um, and each week it was always a little bit more dilated and a little bit more thinned out. And so that last OB appointment that I had, um, you know, I, I kind of left with a lot of fear, um, but I was going to keep going and I was not quite 34 weeks at that point in time. And, um, I, I remember the, the OBGYN saying to me, you know, if your water breaks, you, you probably want to just come right away to the hospital. And he's like, I'm just a little bit worried about your babies being breached and you're so far dilated. And he's like, were you worried about that? And I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'm a patient <laughs> in this scenario. It's not my job to worry about those kind of things, but now I am. So um, anyway, it, you know, it started that Sunday morning um, and I, I, I was kind of, I had contractions a lot, so I, I didn't really think too much of it. Um, I tried to go about my day and then um, by, by later af afternoon, it was pretty clear that um, I, I needed to, to go in. My husband wasn't home. I called him and, and we headed in. And um, by the time I got to the hospital, it was much too late to stop anything. Um, I was dilated five or six centimeters and with both babies being breached, um, they, they um, asked me if they wanted, if I thought they should try to, to stop the labor. And um, I was very appreciative of, you know, them giving me a chance to, to weigh in. But, um, you know, I knew in my heart that, that our, our babies were coming that day. So, so we had a C-section again, just, I knew that that was going to be all along. My kids were breached the, pretty much the whole time. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking back that day, I, there was a lot of people there. It's really overwhelming. I know that they called in a lot of NICU staff, but um, I just, I just didn't, I, I didn't really register to me like what actually was going to happen. Um, and I think the, that it finally sunk in that moment when your babies go to the NICU and then you go to a room and by yourself. Um, it's, it's quite a, quite a feeling. Um, you know, I know they brought in some pictures and my husband was pretty torn. Like, who do I spend my time with her or the kids? And I think we've all um, felt that, um, that, you know, it's hard to be away from your babies and, um, I just remember one question as they like carted them off, they said something about, do you want us to use some donor breast milk or you no, know, I'm thinking like, where are you taking them? What's going on? It's just mm -hmm. so overwhelming in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's pretty incredible for our audience to hear because 
you're someone who lives in this world and you're around babies in deliveries constantly, but no matter what, it's still such a shock to have it be so radically different than your expectations. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we had a C-section date in mind and this is how it was going to go. And, and it absolutely did, did not go that way. Um, and, you know, our, our NICU stay was pretty straightforward. I have to say we didn't really have a lot of setbacks. Um, you know, basically they were, they were there to, to work on that skill, this, you know, suck, swallow, breathe and work on their eating. Um, we were there for about two and a half weeks. Um, and, and uh, then they were able to come home with us. So uh, it, it, uh, it's an amazing experience. It's a stressful experience. You see a lot of families um, coming in and, um, you know, like comparatively, I, you know, my, like I said, my journey in the NICU was, was not as bumpy as some, some individuals. And I, I think we can all share that same feeling that you, when you walk in and, and you do see a setback for the day, you know, for us, it was the, the feeding tube. Um, and then the time limits on feeding, all of those kind of things, like, you just feel like you, you know, your baby can do it. Um, and then they're telling you, nope, they can't, you know, we'll just tube feed the rest of it. And um, I, I, I do remember that feeling of frustration um, for sure. Um, but, you know, they're doing great now. Um, they've, they've hit all of their milestones, which is, is great. Um, my daughter has been a little bit slower with hers, but, um, over, you know, by the time they were two years old, they were pretty much all caught up. Um, so, so yeah, they're, they're pretty spectacular. Um, I'm, I'm really, you know, the NICU is a very special place to me. Um, it's, uh, it's a place that I will always um, hold dear to my heart. I mean, it's not very many circumstances where, where, where we do have to, to leave our kids in the care of somebody else for that long of a time. Um, right. And, you know, I'm grateful for all of the NICU staff, you know, across the country that are able to love our babies when, when we're not able to be there. Um, and it, it's not an easy journey, but um, this is our story. And, and so it, it comes with a lot of extra emotions. Um, you know, I, I remember at some point just asking my husband, I wonder what it's like for people that just get to bring their baby home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of us feel that way. You know, and I, it's, it still creeps into my mind, even though we're, we're further and further removed from that day that we came um, to discharge me without our kids. And, um, I still wonder what that feeling is like, um, where everybody gets to walk out of the hospital together. And, um, I've had to just accept that that's, you know, we're, we're done having children. I mean, that these are going to be our, our, our kids. And, and this is, this is my story. And, um, but I think it's easy for all of us to wonder about the what ifs. You know, what is it like to be, you know, to have it look differently, but I'm, I'm grateful for the strength that it's given me as a mom. Um, and uh, yeah, mm. I think that's about all. 
That's so beautiful. And it, so correct me if I'm wrong, but was your specialty always in high risk pregnancy? So, um, I always have had an interest in it. You know, I, I do the full scope of OBGYN, um, but, uh, you know, high risk pregnancies certainly are something that I, I, I definitely take a affinity for, um, mostly because not just because I've been through that, but even before then, my, my philosophy is all has always been to try to, um, reduce anxiety. I think that, you know, we go into pregnancies with, with, well, a lot of us with a lot of anxiety about how is it going to be, you know, how am I going to feel? Um, are my, you know, is my child going to develop? Okay. Is everything, you know, as it should be. Um, and you know, having a high risk pregnancy doesn't necessarily mean that, that, um, we have to add to that. You know, there are, there are things about a high risk pregnancy that are special and, um, you know, I try to help patients, at least this is what I had to do because I didn't want to be considered high risk pregnancy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I considered myself a healthy person. I thought, you know, twins, it doesn't necessarily have to be a high risk pregnancy. Um, so I really, I, I avoided like in my mind, those thoughts. Um, and when it came time to do some extra monitoring and the, the weekly testing and all of that stuff, I tried to shape the way that I thought about it. And this is what I try to share with patients now, that this is just a way that we can, we can make sure that your baby, your babies are, are still healthy. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a, you know, a lot of other moms don't, don't get that experience of that extra attention and surveillance, if you want to call it that. Um, so I just try to change the narrative a little bit um, and try to, to think about the positives because I think towards um, you know, once you reach that point around that 22, 23 weeks, I think all of us start, you know, we're looking and we know that babies can survive outside of us at that point in time. So it's almost like this shift in thinking, like you want to make it as far as you can in the pregnancy, but you also hear these stories about people having a devastating loss while they're still pregnant. So, I mean, there's just so many conflicting emotions. And mm-hmm. um, for those that don't have more surveillance, they're sometimes left wondering, is everything okay? And, um, you know, that's one thing about a high-risk pregnancy is you do get a lot of reassurance that, yeah. that everything is okay. Right. The reason I asked that was because I was curious if that was your specialty prior to having your twins or if that became more of your specialty after, after you had experienced it yourself. Yeah, sure. No, it was always something that I was, I was interested in. That's so cool. And do you feel like it shaped like your experience shaped how you now care for your patients and just like your, your heart and how you care for your patients? I absolutely. I mean, I I don't know how it couldn't, um, quite honestly, I, I see a lot of moms that, um, had a NICU baby the first time around and maybe the experience was, um, wasn't, um, as positive as maybe other, other families have had. And so we talk a lot about, um, again, changing that narrative, Mm -hmm. um, that just because, um, you had the, this experience and this is the way you feel about your, your, your previous pregnancy, we don't have to, that doesn't have to be the story this time. And we can change the, change the, the narrative. Um, and, you know, mostly just a lot of reassurance that you may not feel okay 
but you will be okay. Um, I think that's something that all of us can relate to um, and that we can have a lot of emotions that can exist at the same time, fear mm -hmm. and love, um, excitement and fear, anxiety, um, and, and just learning to understand um, what you can control and what you can't. Yeah, absolutely. That really reminds me of, um, we've done an interview and um, just tend to worship Parijat Deshpande, the author of um, Pregnancy Brain, because uh, she talks about, you know, maintaining, um, you know, a healthy mind-body uh, situation during high-risk pregnancy. Um, and like you say, it's about acknowledging where you're at and acknowledging those feelings and just providing as much safety for your mind and body as you can, because okay. there's nothing else. We, it's, it's just a time of like literally no control of your body, um, yes. which is just, it's insane. And actually, I think maybe this is a great time to start with some of the questions that our audience have submitted for you. Sure. Um, the, I think the first and foremost being, what does high-risk pregnancy mean? And you know, what are the factors used to diagnose um, the condition of high-risk pregnancy? So generally high-risk pregnancies can fall into different categories as to why they're considered more high-risk. Um, one can be um, a factor, something with mom that was pre-existing prior to pregnancy. So maybe she has a medical condition like diabetes or kidney disease that we know puts her more at risk for having complications during pregnancy. Um, there may be something that we determine, you know, midway through the pregnancy that changes uh, the risk. So typically that's either something has developed with mom that's new, like blood pressure issues or low, low blood counts or platelets, um, or there's an issue with baby that, that we determine later on or both. So mom develops a new condition and baby is, is impacted by it. So um, those are generally the, the issues are, that are going to put you into a higher risk category. Sure. And if a mom was diagnosed as having more of a high risk pregnancy, how would her level of care change or what would a, what would her pregnancy checkups look like that might be different for a quote, normal, healthy pregnancy? Sure. So again, it depends a little bit on what the issue is, but, um, most of the time, um, more frequent appointments, um, sometimes um, as often as once or twice a week. Um, you may get a, a referral to a maternal fetal medicine specialist, um, which they, that's all they do is they specialize in high-risk pregnancies. Um, and we have, um, there's specialists all across the country and um, they will typically weigh in with recommendations about um, how to make sure that we can keep the pregnancy as healthy as possible. Um, but generally it's, it's more, um, more ultrasounds, meaning more surveillance of baby. So we might be watching um, how the baby grows. We might check, be checking the blood flow to the baby. We might be doing fitness tests, I call them for the baby, those biophysical profiles. Um, that tell us that they're, they're doing all of the things that they need to do um, while they're still inside. They may be monitoring the heart, the heart rate as well. Um, and maybe, you know, more of mom's vital signs too. So it might be coming in more often for blood pressure checks or um, for, uh, you know, blood, blood sugar uh, checks. 
there. And this is, we can cut this out because maybe this is a dumb question because I never have thought of it until right now. No, there's no dumb Um, question. But is the maternal fetus specialist more for the baby and then the high risk OB more for the mom or do they both equally serve the baby and the mom? Is there a difference? No, no, that's a great question. The the difference, uh, I would say they they serve in both serve in roles to help mom and baby. Okay. Um, the difference is, um, so whereas I did four years of training and I did um, several months with a maternal fetal medicine specialist as part of our OBGYN training. Um, OBGYNs can actually go on and do an additional three years of training just looking at high-risk pregnancies. Okay. That's a maternal fetal medicine specialist. Typically, maternal fetal medicine specialists do not do deliveries. Um, okay. Most, I mean, the, there are a few centers where they still might have their own patients that they would deliver, um, but most of the time they're a con- consultant. So they, oh, okay. they give recommendations about how to, how to navigate a pregnancy. And for the most part, it's very standardized. So there's societies that outline, here's what we recommend for, you know, for monitoring these kind of pregnancies. Uh, but sometimes, you know, not everything fits into a perfect box and, mm-hmm. um, it might be something that we've, we've not seen before. Um, and they, maybe they haven't seen before. Um, and then it becomes a little bit more, um, less defined, I guess, sure. uh, in, in how do we, how do we navigate this? But. Sure. I think that's what really astonished me when I started going through this world. Cause I had my son back in 2015 Yeah. and even between 2015 and 2019, the standards and the protocols had changed. I, I mean, it's just amazing how quickly the science and the research in this part of medicine has developed and continues to do so. And yeah. in a way that I think for moms should provide great hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I've seen, you know, I've been in practice for 16 years now and I've seen the, the pendulum swing um, different ways um, with regard to how do we treat preterm labor? How do we treat preeclampsia? Sometimes, you know, over time we, we call it different things. Um, it, it, you know, it gives me hope that there's still attention, mm-hmm. you know, given to, to trying to make pregnancies for those maybe that were higher risk before to change, change the outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, probably the, one of the most exciting changes um, for preterm delivery has been the weekly progesterone injections for some patients that it's appropriate. I've seen some pretty amazing um, results with that over the course of, of my career. Uh, with patients that maybe had a 32 week delivery or even a 28 and then go on to have a baby that's full term. And that's a big deal for, mm-hmm. for a mom. So uh, there's always breakthroughs. There's always new ways to, to look at things. And um, yeah, the hope is that we're getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if let's say there's a hypothetical mama who's uh you know, just been told she's a high risk pregnancy and maybe they've already had a baby that was, you know, high risk. Maybe they had a preterm baby or they're a genetic carrier for something. Um, 
what can they do on their own in their lives to, to make their healthy, their pregnancy healthier? You know, is there anything aside from eating healthy and exercise, what factors can the mama can take control over, um, in order to, to better herself and make herself safer? Sure. I mean, I, uh, all of the things that I think are inherent to, you know, having a healthy pregnancy, eating right. Um, you know, one thing that I did in my pregnancy, um, was acupuncture. Um, I felt like that, you know, even if it, if it didn't help with anything else, it certainly reduced my anxiety. Um, and it was, you know, at least 30 minutes where I could just quiet my mind in a, a nice warm room. Um, I, I think there's a lot of alternative um, medicine practices that can help us and we can, we can lean on uh, those methodologies um, to help at least reduce our anxiety. I think that's probably the, the biggest thing is trying to keep your, your mind body connection well balanced um, and keep that, that anxiety to as, you know, reduce it as much as possible, getting healthy rest um, and, you know, eating right, uh, exercise if you're able to, um, but anything that's gonna reduce that anxiety level, I think will, it will be the most beneficial. I love the idea too that it's um to use the technical word prophylactic because you you're trying to prevent yourself from getting to that high level of um you know fight or flight you know yeah. avoiding that place where your nervous system is on edge because it's just going to be you know having been through two high risk pregnancies it just you're on edge constantly because it's in your body and you can't escape your body right so you um, you know, it's just finding moments constantly, um, to really get yourself through the day before it gets to a place of kind of disaster mode. And, yeah. um, I think you've done, you do such a great job. It sounds like acknowledging in your practice that it, and knowing that it's hard where you're at, but you'll get through it is so important. Yeah. I think the other thing is, is, um, just because, um, you know, maybe a first pregnancy, you know, went, went the way that it did, it doesn't always mean that the next one is going to go the same. And um, I, we, we do talk a lot, at least but my patients and myself about, um, about being cautious not to write the same story, you know, just that, that it can, it can look different. Um, it will look different just because you've already been through it once before. Mm -hmm. um, so I like to think about like the lens that we have of life, all of that, all of our viewpoints are very perfectly shaped by all of these unique experiences that we've had along the way. Um, I think um, reaching out to other moms is, is huge. It's something that I, I wish I would have done more, particularly after my kids were born. Um, I think we tend to, to um, think, well, I should just muscle through this. I, sh you know, I shouldn't be feeling all of these things. I should be, I should, I should, I should. Um, rather than just talking about it and acknowledging it, you know, owning the feelings that are there, um, working through them. And, and one of the best ways to do that is leaning on other people who've been through the same thing. Yeah. I know we're going to get to some of like the high risk pregnancy factors, but just to stay in the provider portion for two more seconds, sure. um, let's say that a, a mom was high risk in her previous pregnancy and she's hoping to have more of her own children. What is the benefit of staying with that same provider? Are there any benefits in switching a provider? And at what point are you getting too many opinions? And at what point <laughs> is it like, 
good for you to get those opinions. You know, that fine line between like, I want to know all the possible outcomes from a lot of different providers. And yet that can sometimes only increase anxiety. So what is your opinion on that? You know, I, I think if, um, to me, the biggest thing between a patient and myself is just that, that level of trust. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, uh, if, if there's questions about, is there another way to look at this? I think it, you know, absolutely warrants, you know, talking to other providers. Um, I certainly don't get a, get hurt or offended by that. I, I mean, I, I, I think it's a good thing. Um, I know a lot of groups will have discussions about patients, um, but it's different. If it's different when it's you mm-hmm. um, and you're trying to find that person that you connect with, I think um, that's very important. Um, but it, you know, there's a reason why the the commercials for gum say four out of five dentists would recommend, right? Because not everybody is going to recommend necessarily exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when you're, when you're sort of seeking out um, different perspectives, it's important to ask yourself as a patient, like, wh- what are you actually looking for? Mm-hmm. And sometimes if I sense that somebody's uneasy, we, we might just have that conversation about, well, what, what, it, what, what is exactly that you're you're looking for with answers and and maybe you don't have to keep looking maybe we can get to that answer um together sure that makes sense yeah absolutely makes a lot of sense so a lot of our moms are obviously previous NICU moms and they're really thinking about getting pregnant again. That's something we see all the time in our online group and just the anxiety surrounding it. And just like you talked about it, their only experience has led to the NICU. So they they're, have a really hard time visualizing it being any other way. And in a lot of times, it means that they are going to be high risks. Um, so, you know, what should, um, you know, a mama consider before contemplating getting pregnant again after a NICU stay, if it means they'll be considered high risk? Sure. I mean, I think um, having a conversation about um, timing is important. Um, you know, if there are recommendations that can actually um, reduce reduce your just general risks. So, if if there was a C-section before, generally we'd we'd want you to wait probably about a year before trying again. Um, I think it's really about focusing those things that you can control. So, if it's that you have diabetes maybe you have a goal about where you want to get your blood sugars before you get pregnant. Um, If you have high blood pressure, maybe it's about uh, getting on a medication that's safe during pregnancy prior to getting pregnant and um, making sure that the, you know, the, the blood pressure is good before Um, we can't control what happens, you know, with our baby's development necessarily outside of um, starting prenatal vitamins in the three three months before, you know, we definitely know that that will reduce risks of having developmental issues for baby, um, meaning, you know, anatomy, etc. But, you know, generally, if you've had a preterm delivery prior, that does at least raise the the providers eyebrows about, well, you know, there's a possibility that this could happen again. Um, But not always. You know, we're, we're amazed all the time. I'm amazed all the time. I've had patients with, with really severe preeclampsia in their first pregnancy, for example, 
um, and then go on to have healthy, you know, pregnancies in the future um, without preeclampsia. Not always, you know, sometimes if it happens again, it happens more severe and it's, and it's even scarier. And I think um, going into it, having an honest conversation with your provider about, well, you know, what can happen on this end of the spectrum and what can happen on this end of the spectrum and hopefully it falls somewhere in the middle. So maybe that's a good place to ask, like, what are some questions that a mom who's considering having more kids ask her provider? Are there any questions that she can ask that are helpful? And, you know, because sometimes you get to the appointment and you just brain fart, like, I I want a baby, now what? So (laughs) are there any questions that are helpful? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, again, just that this kind of those basics, what's, what's my health, what's my health status, um, and asking, uh, you know, your, your provider, um, that very question, is there anything that you see that I need to change? Um, is, is my weight, uh, healthy is, you know, are my sleep habits, healthy exercise, eating habits, healthy, all of those things that fall in the bucket that we can control. Um, I think it's important to, to ask about, about them, um, medications, you know, are there any medications that I should change? Um, sometimes, you know, I'll get kind of a panic message from a patient that maybe was taking something for migraines or, you know, some, some other thing, maybe it's acne medication, um, asking those questions ahead of time so that you can save yourself some anxiety on the other end when you do actually get pregnant. Um, and then I think those questions about where you get really serious, if you have had a a NICU baby in the past and a high risk pregnancy, asking that question is it possible for me to have a low risk pregnancy if you know or normal if you, you want to use that word um, and the answer may be you're always going to be considered high risk and for this reason um, so I, I you know i don't think there's ever a bad question i, I think the, the the sad thing would be if it if you have questions and you didn't ask right one medication that we sometimes hear moms concerned about having to go off well when trying to conceive or becoming pregnant is their anxiety medication. So as a provider, what type of guidelines or instruction do you give with anxiety medication while a mom is pregnant? So, you know, there's obviously different categories. There are some which I generally would, would want you to go off of. Um, And most of the time, those are those as needed anxiety medications um, like Xanax um, is a, probably a common one that sometimes people will take for, you know, for a, an acute anxiety attack. Um, it's tough with some of the more um, SSRIs are a very common um, antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication. Um, and there are some that we know more about during pregnancy than others. Um, so we have a conversation about should, you know, should we try to make that switch? There are some times where patients have worked really hard to get their anxiety under control and have tried a lot of different medications. Um, and so generally in those circumstances, I would, I would try to keep you on the same medication. Um, there is a medication that's a category B in pregnancy that is kind of an older one. And that's what I switched to when I was trying to get pregnant. Um, it's called Boospar, which, um, it's not used a lot. Boospar, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, I, um, I did really well with it. And, uh, you know, so a lot of times patients aren't aware that there are alternative options. So I will talk to them about switching 
to, to that one. Sure. I think the bottom line, you know, when I'm hearing the, the bottom thread here is that one of the best ways you can advocate for yourself is just to ask questions. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, you're, you know, you're the experts we're coming to you. And I think sometimes, you know, just historically women feel like you're the experts. I shouldn't do anything, but in truth, a lot of times we see that women's intuition and guts and the things that they're experiencing in the body are worthy of question. For sure. I, you know, I, it comes up a lot with my patients where I will, um, you know, we might have this discussion and then at the, the last thing I'll say is, but you know, your body best. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I need you to weigh in and tell me, tell me what your thoughts are about X, Y, Z. Um, Cause I, I agree. I mean, the, the times where I've tried to talk a patient out of something or into something um, and maybe her gut was telling her something else. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, let me just say, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when it's reasonable. Um, so I do think there is a lot to um, patients. We, we know ourselves best. We know what our comfort zone is. And um, you know, I think a lot of us are willing to go outside of it to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I know I was this way, but I am married to statistics and in having spent so much time in an MFM office and talking, I had like eight preconception meetings with my OB and she was like, hi, we're going to talk about this again. Um, But I, I just really feel like a lot of Nikki moms do a lot of research after the fact about what are the statistics around pre-palming again? You know, sure. I have an incompetent cervix. Will it happen again? I had preterm yeah. contractions. Will it happen again? You know, yeah. I had, um, you know, oh my gosh, why can't I think of the word for high blood pressure in pregnancy? Ashley, you had it. What's wrong with preeclampsia? Preeclampsia. <laughs> Pause. I had preeclampsia. What's the rate of that happening again? So you look at all of these things and statistics and sometimes you're in two categories or one or whatever. Yeah. So what what are those statistics, you know, for repeat preterm labors and preeclampsia? Do you relay those to your patients and how useful are they for determining what when something will happen again? Sure. You know, I mean, the statistics are, are out there. I think that, um, you know, before Google, they were just harder to access, right? Um, but I mean... I think all of us utilize, uh, you know, searches and, and try to get as much information as we can, because we, we do want to go into a discussion with our provider, at least armed with some background, right? Like we want to have some knowledge base um, going in. And, um, you know, generally, if you had a preterm delivery previously, your, your risk is probably about 20%. Um, to to have it again, depending on what your you know risk factors are, something like an incompetent preg- uh, incompetent cervix, excuse me, um, is something that that does not change. You know that one um, is something about your body that uh, that you wouldn't be able to to change with anything between pregnancies. So generally, most of us. Um, would say if it's diagnosed accurately that in that next pregnancy we can intervene sooner than when because the hard part about incompetent cervix is oftentimes you don't know it until you know it, it's your 20 some weeks and all of a sudden your cervix is dilated and um, 
knowing it going into the next pregnancy, we actually can put in a cerclage, you know, the, the appropriate type of cerclage for your particular situation um, and hopefully uh, gain more time out of the pregnancy. Um, but preeclampsia is a tough one. I mean, the, the statistics are kind of all over the place about will it happen again? What my experience is, um, if it's going to happen again, generally it, it is more severe the second time. Um, and, and oftentimes earlier, um, but I would say it's still probably a 20% chance that, you know, that you will develop preeclampsia in a subsequent pregnancy. Um, we know, or we, at least we think we know that it has something, you know, there's something about a first time pregnancy with that partner that puts you a little more at risk for, for preeclampsia. And then I've seen patients that had preeclampsia and then maybe had another child with that same partner and it was a, a pregnancy that wasn't impacted and then maybe life changed and they have a new partner and then had preeclampsia in that next pregnancy. So there's, I, th I think there's still a lot to learn about what the causes um, are of some of these um, issues that happen during pregnancy. Um, I know a baby aspirin a day can help with a lot of things, <laughs> um, preeclampsia being one of them. So, you know, I know I took that in my pregnancy uh, just because I was, I was 41 um, and with twins, uh, you know, I certainly uh, knew that it could help reduce my risk of preeclampsia. I think that's such, that's the hard thing about it is that someone you you come out of the NICU most of the time with PTSD, like yeah. 70% of people do. And oftentimes that's related to PPD or PPA, you know, any of the PMADs. And so you are seeking control. You want answers because that's like a hallmark of anxiety is intolerance of uncertainty, but there is just inherently question marks around yeah. a lot of these things that yeah. lead to NICU stays. Like we'll just never know, <laughs> you know? So I, I think that's really hard for moms to grieve. Um, and like you said at the very top, you can't help but wonder, well, what would it have been like if this had sure. gone differently, right? Um, it's part of the grief we experience. So how do you even start mentally preparing you know, how do you prepare mamas and encourage them, you know, through that anxiety and PTSD in this high risk pregnancy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, for me, um, we talk a lot about just small goals. I, I think, you know, during the pregnancy, I think um, sometimes what I see is, is people get really overwhelmed, like looking at the finish line, uh, when really maybe we just need to look at the end of the block you know, like what, what do we need to focus on for, for this week? Um, and you know, this week, everything is, here's all the things that are going well. Um, and you know, so I usually will set some smaller goals. If it was that you delivered at 26 weeks in your first pregnancy, then, then I will say, okay, well, let's, let's shoot for full term, but Hey, 28 weeks would be even better. And, and knowing that every day counts, um, every day is a win um, that we we can stay pregnant and and stay healthy um, in doing so. So, you know, I think for me, when I break down my anxiety um, into little smaller, more manageable chunks, it 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 just is more manageable. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I think doing that with your doctor. Um, certainly is helpful. 
Um, and then I, I think going into it, um, sometimes we have a discussion about what things do you not want me to say? I mean, even there's some words, I think, that can sort of trigger um, your anxiety. And so, we, you know, even a discussion around, I, you know, I don't, let's not talk about X, Y, Z until it's actually something that I need to worry about. Yeah. Um, I know that that's not everybody's practice style, but, um, you know, generally I, I think it's more helpful for us to walk into an appointment and be like, oh gosh, everything looks great today. Um, and, you know, not go through as you're walking out the door, this laundry list of all these things that you need to worry about as you're yes. leaving. <laughs> yes. I was actually just going to ask you that was, is there a way to kind of control that narrative a little bit? Because I remember when my pregnancy became high risk, we then started meeting with maternal fetal medicine and those ultrasounds naturally are just like really extensive. I mean, yes, they were they telling are. me the size of his kidneys and every, you know, yeah. and I was like, oh, his kidneys are this size. Like, did I need to know that? <laughs> you know, right. so it's, it's really encouraging to hear you say that we, we do have a part in controlling that narrative a little bit so that we don't go home with that. I'm measuring his kidneys and his heart and now the shape of his head, you know, it's just like right. one thing at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's absolutely appropriate to say, you know, let's, let's focus on the things that you really need me to know. And um, if it's that we're just going to talk about positive things today and, you know, I get it that there's stuff to watch out for or stuff that you might be watching for, but um, you know, I would prefer not to talk about that at every visit unless you, you know, you absolutely think we have to kind right. of thing. I think that's more than a, I've had patients um, where uh, the most recent one, she, she has a small baby and, um, we've been watching it and, you know, I mean, she will just, I will just say, yep, we're, we're, we're the same for growth. And she would say, yep. And I'm not worried about it. And, and we don't talk about it anymore. It, you know, like we move on to the, to the next thing, um, which is okay because I think she knows that I'm going to tell her if there's something that we need to intervene and do something about. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh. Yeah, I it reminds me of what my second pregnancy. I remember when they first said, well, you know, obviously we'd love to get you to full term, but 28 weeks is our goal. And I said, what? I don't <laughs> want it to be 28 weeks. I want it to be 37 weeks. And they, right. and they said, you don't, you know, like, just trust us, you know, let's get, let's just get to viability. Let's get to 28. Let's do in those chunks. And I'm so glad they did because yeah. then when I got to 28, it felt like such a win. It felt mm -hmm. like totally different than my last pregnancy. We got a bunch of donuts with the 28 written on them from Sandy's Donut. <laughs> yeah. And I, my, my sister got me those, you know, those cute balloons, like those yeah. rose gold balloons, 28. And cute. we celebrated it and it felt like a win. I love yeah. the idea that for high risk mamas that every day is a win because it's an encouragement for you. Like you got to the end, you know, you're in bed again and you did yeah. it. You did one more day. And that's the only way you're going to get through it. Totally. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Everybody should celebrate with Sandy's donuts. Amen. <laughs> yes. Amen I believe they ship that. nationally. So awesome. <laughs> so as we, we close down this fantastic conversation, um, are there any final words of encouragement you want to share with, with, uh, NICU mamas past and present or NICU, uh, high risk pregnancy mamas? especially as we kind of enter this season where there's a lot of uh, quote unquote, for lack of a better word, holidays, you know, yeah. surround, 
life, you know, NICU awareness month and, um, pregnancy, you know, a loss awareness, all these things that are coming up that have are really charged for moms, you know, what encouragement do you have for them? I think, um, you know, just to, to recognize the incredible strength that exists when, within all of us. Um, you, you know, I'm amazed at, um, you know, how I, I was, I thought getting through a, a high-risk pregnancy and then through a NICU stay, like, that's where it, that's where it ends, right? But, you know, the, the next phase, being a parent is, is, is the most wonderful and hardest job that I have ever taken on. Um, and I'm grateful every day that I get to do it. And not everybody, not everybody has a happy ending um, with regard to, you know, being able to eventually bring your child home. Um, and there's a lot of uh, grief and PTSD that goes with having a premature uh, child and a, and a child in the NICU, but it doesn't end just there, right? Like we, we look at our children as, and there's always that constant fear that you don't want to miss anything mm -hmm. um, as they're, as they're developing. And then for those moms who didn't get to take, a, you know, um, their child home, um, recognizing that grief and joy can exist together. Um, I think that's probably been one of the biggest lessons in my life that I don't have to, I don't have to stay in grief. Um, it's, but I, I can't remove it completely. Mm -hmm. I think when you deal with, with loss, particularly the loss of a child, it stays with you. And so I would never tell a mom um, to, I, I won't even say the words out loud, some of the things that people say to, to moms who have lost a baby um, or a child, um, that, it, that it's okay to feel joy again. It's okay to want to have another child, um, it, it, that it doesn't take away from what you feel from your, your, your child that you lost, um, that, that there's enough love to, to go around. And I think that, that we, like I said, we're, we're just extraordinary women. Um, and we can do amazing things. Um, I'm, I'm just super amazed by um, you guys welcoming me into the group on, you know, on Facebook and the, the stories. I actually have to kind of hold myself back from commenting on everything because I, um, I don't want to, you know, I, I just like seeing uh, what people have to put out there. Um, and I, I just, I just want to immerse myself in it. So what you're doing is amazing and it's helping um, a lot of women. It's quite clear. There's just um, a lot of amazing women out there with a story to tell. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad you have this platform for them to do it. It's, it's pretty spectacular. Thank you. Yeah, we feel pretty lucky when we look into the support group online because it's like we've created a band of warriors who support yeah. each other. Like within five minutes of something being posted, there's 24 comments. And <laughs> I think it's totally. really different than a lot of other spaces because I'm sure you are very familiar with the Facebook NICU groups that exist. And some of them are more medical than others. And some sure. of them are, uh, there's a lot of questions, but we've really tried to develop an environment that's purely based on encouragement and empowerment. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm so it's, glad you're a part of it. That's, that's good. So yeah. This episode was really beautiful. Thank you. And just thank you for approaching it with such grace and empathy. I think we have had a lot of moms, including myself, have appointments where it was like, yep, it'll happen again. 
Oh. It was like, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> oh, thank you for just approaching the conversation with just such tenderness because yeah. this is, you know, I'm, I haven't gone through everything in my life yet, but wanting kids is one of the most vulnerable positions I've ever felt. And so yeah. wanting something that you don't know if you can have, or, mm-hmm. you know, not being able to control that. So having you approach it with such love is really, it's going to be really valuable for the moms that tune in. Well, good. Hopefully um, they can gain a little bit from, from our time together. So thanks. Absolutely. Okay. Well, mamas, thank you so much for tuning in today. And thank you, Dr. Steph, again, for just approaching the conversation with such love and empathy. And to the moms listening that are pregnant again after having a high-risk pregnancy, we hope that this offered just some soothe to your heart as you navigate um, this new pregnancy journey that you're on. And to the mamas that are questioning, what is next for our family? How will we grow our family? We hope that this offered just some tangible wisdom and some advice and maybe just some practical questions to ask your providers. So if anything, I think today was just a reminder that mama, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to seek those answers out. And um, you, you know your body best. So mama, thank you again for tuning in. We hope that you have a wonderful week and we'll chat with you guys next time. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.